This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on Saturday the 11th of April 2020 on Monocle 24. Morning. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you from Midori House in London. Coming up on the show, Charles Hecker of Control Risk rounds up the papers for us. We'll check in with Monocle's editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule, who joins us from Zurich, and with our Hong Kong bureau chief, James Chambers. We'll also find out about life under lockdown in rural Wales and hear from Christoph Amen from Zeit magazine. All that ahead, plus the weekend's top picks from our culture editor, Chiara Romella. It's Saturday, the 11th of April, live from London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Before we get started with our guests, a quick recap of the top headlines we're following today. The US has become the first country in the world to record over 2,000 COVID-19 deaths in one day. Johns Hopkins University estimates the number of confirmed coronavirus cases in the US has now exceeded half a million. President Donald Trump has ordered top U.S. administration officials to help Italy in fighting the coronavirus outbreak by providing medical supplies, humanitarian relief and other assistance. In Italy, Prime Minister Giuseppe Conti has extended a nationwide lockdown to contain the coronavirus until May the 3rd. Bookshops, stationers and shops selling children's clothes are, however, allowed to reopen next week. And Apple and Google have announced that they're working together to create technology that aims to alert people when they've been in close proximity to someone who's tested positive for COVID-19. And that's your Monocle 24 News. So now I'm joined on the line by Charles Hecker of Control Risks. Uh, Charles, thanks so much for, for getting up early. I know it isn't, it isn't always easy, given uh, all of our alcohol intake has risen <laughs> with this lockdown. <laughs> yes, well, um, good morning, Georgina. Yes, a slightly certainly morning throat here. You'll have to forgive me for that. Um, very much looking forward, by the way, to the return of the cinnamon bun, which makes the Saturday morning press review all the more pleasant and, and easier to go through. I hope you're surviving well without your cardamom bum I know, uh, bun it's, in the morning. It's a little <clears> difficult, <throat> I have to say, but we will we will have those buns again, Charles, I feel sure. That's right. <laughs> very, very much looking forward to that. Um, listen, you talk about morning throat, but actually it's become so much easier to breathe in every country in the world. The Guardian has a great global piece about that. Yeah, as ever, Georgina, perfect transition. Thank you for that. Um, you're right. So we start our morning paper review with The Guardian, who has a headline that says, it's positively alpine, disbelief in big cities as air pollution falls. And, you know, the main feature of this piece, which is a great advantage um, of the website, although I do miss the, the tactile experience of the actual printed page, but The Guardian has a main feature of a series of pictures of world cities with kind of before and after pollution pictures where you can slide your finger across the picture and see how bad the pollution was before lockdown and how clear the air is following the lockdown. And of course, The Guardian goes straight to Delhi, which is the world's most polluted city. But India has been in a coronavirus-related lockdown now for two weeks, and it has 
the freshest air it's had in decades. And you'll know this thing called the Air Quality Index, the AQI. This is the number that people look at on their phone apps to see if it's safe to breathe. And the World Health Organization says that anything over an AQI of 25 is unsafe. The air in Delhi is usually at 200 and sometimes goes beyond 900 and off the scale. Since the lockdown, the AQI for Delhi is routinely below 20. And after a blast of rain recently, it was once as low as seven. And you just see these pictures of sort of brown sky Delhi versus blue sky Delhi. And it's absolutely astonishing. And, and, and The Guardian goes on to show us pictures of Bangkok and Sao Paulo and Bogota, um, Chinese cities, other places that always have extremely troublesome air pollution problems that are now, you know, breathing essentially alpine air, as the headline says. Yeah. Well, of course, and this is something that everybody's going to have to look at, is how do we maintain some of these uh, positive uh, uh, consequences of, of coronavirus when we go back to normal? Um, uh, let's let's move on now to New York. Now, uh, on our programme, The Urbanists, we've been running a series of love letters to cities. And a little bit earlier, we heard Ed Stocker, who is our uh, America's editor at large, uh, talking about New York and, and how much he loves it. Well, Roger Cohen uh, in The New York Times uh, has a wonderful column also on that theme. That's right. I heard Ed Stocker's piece this morning before uh, coming on the air, and I, I thought his love letter was, was apt. And, and so we're just going to riff on that a little bit. And this is a column in The New York Times by Roger Cohen, who's normally their foreign affairs correspondent. Uh, and he's writing his own love letter, if you will, to New York. He says the headline is, come back, New York, all is forgiven. And what Roger Cohen does is he lists all of the things that he hates about New York and how much he would forgive New York for all of these dreadful things, if only the city would return to life. And, and I think what's a little bit funny about this is, you know, you can tell that Roger Cohn very much loves New York and misses the New York that he's used to every day. But I have to tell you, the list of things that he hates gets very, very long. <laughs> and so it starts with LaGuardia Airport, which is the, the, the feature of New York that everybody loves to hate. It goes on to no taxis in the rain and slushy snow puddles, the Mets, the baseball team, um, delivery trucks that block traffic, um, the construction jackhammers, and goes on to sort of include rats and cockroaches and August Swelter. And um, you sort of wonder how, how genuine his passion is for New York. But if somebody can tolerate this many features of a city and, number one, still want to live there, and number two, still want all of these things to come back, then it's, it's quite impressive. And, and I actually started to think, you know, what would we say about London or what would other people say about their home cities or their favorite cities, about things that have gone away? Uh, and if they came back... Uh, they would be forgiven. Absolutely. I mean, don't you just long to go into a shop to look at stuff that you've got no intention of buying? You just want to go and browse something useless. <laughs> the pleasure of browsing, the pleasure of window shopping, the pleasure of just thumbing through books in a bookstore or taking in the smells coming out of a restaurant or a cafe. Um, just the life of a city is on its streets and we're not on those streets right now. Or if we are, we're there once a day and we're busy dodging everybody else who's coming at us. And um, it's a different kind of street life. It's a different kind of experience. It's, it's, it's tense, it's nervous, and, and it's, it's sort of loaded with, with necessity and purpose rather than with leisure 
and enjoyment. And, and yeah, I cannot wait for that to come back to London and, and to all of our favourite cities all around the world. Yeah. Let's go to the Washington Post now. Uh, the uh, um, rants, that's really the only way I can put it, from uh, President Donald Trump, have been getting more and more insane over the weeks. Uh, and his attacks on journalists have really become quite dangerous. Uh, now, his latest attack is on The Voice of America. Right. For lovers of radio all around the world, The Washington Post has a very important story. And the headline says... White House attacks Voice of America, claiming it promoted Chinese propaganda. And you're right, Georgina, we know that, that President Trump has an intense dislike bordering on, on a deep hatred and loathing of journalism and journalists, unless there's a certain brand and certain type of journalists being those who flatter him uh, and cast him in a positive light. And today's uh, attack is on the Voice of America which is a federally funded but independent radio station that's been in existence since 1942. And, and in many countries, the Voice of America, along with radio stations like the BBC or Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, um, the Voice of America is the only source of objective, independent news in a lot of places around the world. And it's, it's filtered very, very carefully f uh, for American bias, which is taken out by an editorial board. So it is a neutral, honest voice around the world. But President Trump's particular argument with the Voice of America today is that the VOA called Wuhan's lockdown successful. And it tweeted out a series of pictures of a light show that China put on to celebrate the end of lockdown. And then what the Voice of America did was it held up the comparison of, of US coronavirus statistics and Chinese coronavirus statistics. And it doesn't paint the U.S. in a favorable light because the United States statistics, even though it's a large country, the United States statistics have now surpassed every other country that has had a coronavirus epidemic. And, and the White House went incandescent. And it was the president and it was the president's social media director, Dan Scavino, um, saying that VOA was a propaganda machine, that it was a waste of money, um, and that it's, it's wasting taxpayer money um, promoting Chinese Communist Party propaganda. So, um, you know, the VOA has been under pressure from the United States before. This isn't the first attack from the White House on the Voice of America. Um, but the article gives the sense that, that the criticism is increasing and that by no means will this be the last attack mm. on the VOA. Uh, interesting that you mentioned there Donald Trump's social media director. I was of the opinion that he was just randomly tweeting out anything that came into his head. Um, that is, of course, very often the case. Um, but uh, the White House has and the president has a social media director. And, you know, there's a lot of tea leaf reading um, into who's really tweeting what. Um, but the most um, commonly held, um, commonly recognized indicator that Dan Scavino sent a tweet rather than President Trump sending a tweet is that usually um, when Scavino tweets, it doesn't have spelling mistakes. Um, it's reasonably well punctuated and, and sort of has sentences with a beginning, a middle and an end. Uh, so, yes, there, there is more than one person tweeting from the president's phone, although most of the time it's Donald Trump. Uh, Charles, finally, let's have a very quick look at Berlin and the property market there. That's right. So while everybody is rushing to describe the world of the future post-coronavirus and how it's going to work and what it's going to look like, the FT takes us to the Berlin rental market 
and says Berlin's property market hit by rent freeze and viral lockdown. And you know, a couple of really interesting statistics here, especially for Londoners, where most people own and fewer people rent. Um, we're told that 85% of Berliners rent their apartments, rent their accommodation, which is so different from here, although more akin to New York. And here's an interesting, another interesting statistic. This is anecdotal uh, evidence from the property market, and that is when a rental property goes on the market, viewings are usually attended by anything from like 100 people to, the FT says, even up to 1,000 viewers at a time. And so what lockdown in Berlin has done is it's reduced that queue to one viewer at a time, which has brought the rental market to a bit of a standstill. That said, it hasn't really suppressed prices in Berlin, where rental inflation has gone up by 28% in the past five years. So Georgina, if you're thinking of a flat in Berlin, think twice. It's still expensive, and you can only see an apartment one at a time and the queues must be gigantic. Absolutely. I think, well, no choice, actually, but to stay put right here. Exactly right. <laughs> Charles, thanks very much indeed. Let's uh, let's meet for a, a Zoom quarantini soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you very, very much. That's Charles Hecker. You're listening to Monocle 24. Every day we send out our Monocle email bulletin and on Saturdays it always begins with a letter from our editor, Andrew Tuck. Here he is. How long will it take for there to be a rallying song in these strange times? Or a good novel or cinematic thriller that's inspired by coronavirus? Or art? although hopefully not too many poems. Perhaps while the edge of the pandemic's universe remains distant and undetectable and any vaccine hero is still unknown, the art world will have to wait a while. But I have no doubt that Netflix is already being pitched TV treatments. But the absent musical anthem is harder to explain. In the UK, they've just re-released We'll Meet Again, a song from the Second World War that did the trick back then but won't do it now, even if the sentiment is so rich that it was referenced in the Queen's address to the nation last weekend. Something unifying like Pharrell's Happy is, well, perhaps too jolly. And of course, it's impossible to get lots of musicians together to record a Band-Aid-style stirring song. I look at the lyrics for the number one in many countries at this time, blinding lights from the weekend. I've been on my own long enough, I look around and Sin City's cold and empty. Perhaps we already have the song and just didn't spot it. At the park, there's a man lurking by the bushes. He's got a camera with a telephoto lens as long as his arm. And he's not here to spot a rare bird in the trees, but to try and catch out people sunbathing, sitting on a bench, talking to someone who does not live in their household. I know this because a few hours later, I check the tabloid sites to confirm my suspicions, and there are his pictures. He's also got a series of people allegedly cycling too close to one another. But they are not what they seem to be. He simply used the lens to make it look like people are super close by shortening the field of vision. With a country on edge, you wonder why anyone would sow seeds of distrust. 
It all started off so promisingly. People said that this forced downtime would see a resurgence in handicrafts, in people fixing and repairing, learning new skills. I know that I succumbed. Just before the lockdown hit, I stocked up on some farrow and ball paint, determined to do some decorating. The tin remained unopened for three weeks, but last Sunday, there was a gap in the conference call and radio schedule, surely enough time to do a trial wall. Well, crikey, the paint went on like sludgy icing. You'd stand back and see what had been a smooth, if scuffed, surface now resembled something from the this-ain't-looking-hopeful chapter of a dermatologist's handbook. Meanwhile, anything within a three-kilometre radius took on a white, freckled appearance. It was deeply unsatisfying. But it also makes me wonder, when we finally get back to work, what my colleagues Tom Reynolds and Will Kitchens will look like. Both have boasted that they will be learning to make their own clothes while off. But if their sewing skills match my efforts, then we may be in for some unusual visions. Indeed, will all of our offices be filled with a parade of terrible haircuts, an abundance of macrame plant pot holders needing willing takers, and people sporting home-knit sweaters with mismatched sleeve lengths? In the meantime, I'm securing the services of a professional decorator. Many thanks to Andrew Tuck. And do sign up to the Monocle Minute and the Monocle Weekend Edition at our website so that you can get sent your own bulletin of weekday news and weekend treats. It comes out at 7am wherever in the world you are. And uh, today, all sorts of wonderful things in, in, that, uh, in that newsletter. So uh, uh, sign up and it will drop into your inbox every day. Now, let's cross over to Hong Kong to hear from our bureau chief there, James Chambers. Uh, James, what's the latest there? What are the, the uh, daily confirmed cases. I understand it's it's going down. Yes, so yesterday there was just 16 new cases uh, and before that, the day before was 13 and it's been uh, a few weeks since we've had over 30. So uh, I guess in Hong Kong we can start to see the the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, And if you look at the, the front page of the local newspaper here, the South China Morning Post, there's a big image of uh, of one of the beaches in Hong Kong, Repulse Bay, with uh, loads of people down there without any masks and their swimsuits and bikinis on. Um, it was a very sunny day. It's, it's, the East, it's Easter holidays here, so we also have Friday and Monday off, and uh, people are starting to head outdoors. I would say that that photo is a bit misleading, a bit like uh, what Andrew just said in his monologue. The photographer is, is probably manipulating angles a bit. Um, and I've had friends who were down there, and they said it wasn't quite as packed as that. People are still keeping their distance and we are only allowed to hang out in in groups of four but uh, there's there's very much a, a positive um, attitude in Hong Kong and uh, I guess we're, we're starting to look towards the the end of this mm. I mean you've been out of quarantine for, for what a, a week now I have yes so I came out of quarantine last Sunday uh, so this has been my my first week of, of freedom um, you know, it's uh, it's good to be out. I'm so excited to be out that I've come into the office today on a Saturday to record this. Um, but uh, I, I must say, it was a it, it took me a bit of time to get used to it. Um, I made the foolish decision on my first day to to go out to Muji and IKEA and buy some things for my home, uh, and I got a bit, little bit freaked out by all the people doing exactly the same thing. Um, so after a, a few uh, an hour or so, I did retreat back to my apartment. Um, but 
you know, it, I have, uh, you know, got used to it again um, back on the, the subway. It's uh, as crowded as ever. Um, I have been walking to work a few times, but, um, uh, you know, I've been in the office every day. Uh, the one thing that I would say I have changed uh, is that I am now wearing a mask, which is a big uh, about turn for me. Uh, before, before I went into quarantine, I was having all these arguments about how they didn't work. Um, but nowadays I've uh, decided to, to jump on board. Um, and it does feel I feel a lot safer for for, for some reason, mm. uh, and I do feel like I'm not getting stared at as much. So uh, that also comes as, as some comfort. I don't know whether they actually make any difference or not, but uh, when everybody's wearing it, um, wearing one, uh, you do kind of feel like you you want to do your bit to to stop this spread and, and to defeat the virus. Yeah. Now, social distancing and bar closures have actually been extended till what is it, April the twenty third? There. Yes, they have. Uh, so April the twenty third is when all of these uh, shutdowns. Have, uh, that's the date in everybody's minds. So. Most places are, are shut down. The only things that are still seem to be operating are hairdressers and restaurants. Um, and in restaurants, there's the, the tables are spread out and you can only eat in, in groups of four. It seems four is the, is the magic number in Hong Kong. Um, I, right now, I mean, famous last words, I, I can't see them uh, being extending that beyond the 23rd, given how much the numbers have dropped. Um, so that'll be a date in everybody's mind. That's still just under two weeks away. Um, and another big date that people are looking at is uh, there's uh, some big university entrance exams that are meant to be happening on the 24th of April. Now, at the moment, those are still meant to be going ahead. You know, obviously, they're very important for you know, 17 and 18 year olds looking to get into university. Uh, and the, the consensus is that those should go ahead uh, because of where we stand in Hong Kong right now. So. I stand to be corrected. I mean, these things can change very quickly. But I imagine between now and the 23rd, we will get a few days where we don't have any cases um, in Hong Kong and certainly not any locally transmitted cases. Mm. Uh, yet Yesterday's numbers, 15 out of the 16 were still travel related. So they'd been imported from overseas and there was only one uh, that was transmitted locally. So, you know, the, the government uh, and the, the officials and the authorities are starting to sound a lot more positive. I mean, somebody yesterday said that the, the local transmissions are pretty much under control now. So um, I, it, it does seem like it's all pointing in the right direction. Now, this is in pretty harsh contrast to what's happening in Singapore. Yes, that's right. There were certain places, certain cities around the world that were being held up uh, for how they'd tackled this this virus. And, you know, Hong Kong was one of them. Taiwan is another. Uh, and Singapore was being held up as, as, as the gold standard. Um, and they they seem to be able to uh, be walking a, a, a middle ground between uh, fighting this the spread of this virus, but also not resorting to the types of extreme measures that we'd seen in the likes of Hong Kong, uh, where, you know, people were being quarantined and, and there was lockdowns and things were being shut. Uh, in Singapore, they hadn't decided to shut schools. Um, people could go about their, their daily lives freely and the government weren't advising, advising people to wear masks. Now, that's all changed. Uh, as of last week, uh, they've, they've put a, in place a, a one-month lockdown, which they're calling a circuit breaker. So everybody does have to stay at home now and it's a bit it's a bit more like what's happening in London where you can go out once a day for a bit of exercise and to buy some uh, uh, so, so, to shop at the supermarket so uh, 
they are, I guess, trying now to to fight a, a second or, or third outbreak, um, both locally and also amongst their foreign worker uh, population. Um, I guess one of the sides of Singapore that not a lot of people uh, get to see is the amount of um, foreign workers fr from a lot of uh, South Asian countries who who live there in these dormitories um, and uh, you know are involved in the the construction industry. Um, and there's about 200,000 there, and there's been a, a particularly nasty outbreak. Uh, in those dormitories because I guess a lot of people are living quite close together. So the Singaporean government is trying to, to battle uh, COVID-19 on two fronts now. One, trying to stop uh, the, the local cases, but also um, uh, trying to get, get on top of this uh, uh, spread in these foreign worker dormitories. James, thank you very much indeed. That was Monocle's James Chambers in Hong Kong. You're listening to Monocle on Saturday with me, Georgina Godwin. Monocle's Out Now April issue is our spring-style special, which means it's packed with good-looking reports and a few welcome diversions, inspirations and ideas away from the less-than-uplifting headlines. Dive in to find out stories like these. We canvas opinions with the CEOs and founders of some of the most dynamic brands and ask why experience really matters to premium fashion houses. These are the firms shoring themselves against an uncertain future. Elsewhere, we profile the outdoor advertising industry from London to Los Angeles and ask how this time-tested form of promotion is still getting glances in the digital era. Roll on the billboard boom. In Japan, we see how railway stations are on track to help the high streets when it comes to rethinking retail. Could train terminals be the ticket for mixed-use developments? In Beirut, we meet a few quiet rioters. These unlikely residents are involved in the city's rolling protests and have ended up being drawn into a vital moment in Lebanon's history. Plus, how's Dakar running? We profile the Senegalese capital at a time of profound change and unlikely optimism. Foreign governments and corporations are circling, but can the city learn how to channel its influence and growth for the greater good? Read our report to find out. Monocle's April issue includes all this and much more, and our first collaboration with French newspaper group Les Echo in the form of a charming Paris guide. Oh, and it's bilingual too. The issue is available on order at monocle.com or be wise and subscribe. This is Monocle on Saturday. I'm Georgina Godwin, and now I'm crossing over to Zurich to join our editor in chief there, Tyler Brule. Good morning to you, Tyler. Good morning, Georgina. How's your Saturday begun? My Saturday's good. I, I, I have to thank you this morning because we've we've swapped roles. Uh, we were going to be hosting uh, out of here today, but I'm your guest now, which is which is fine. And so thank you for taking over um, the shift because it's just it's been a crazy five weeks. And I had one of those afternoons yesterday. I had to file a variety of things, and then someone said, oh, "Can you can you do a piece for the Sunday Times as well?" Anyway, and I literally I got to the end of the day, which is unusual for me. But I just, I hit the wall yesterday. Yesterday, I was just like, I just, I, I needed to just collapse. I needed to sleep in today. Yeah. And, but now I'm here. It's, it's 10:30. It's or 10:26 anyway. But, in in Zurich. Yeah. Well, it's it's great. It's great to have you on the show, Tyler. Um, there's a new segment that we've introduced under your watch on on this show, and and we're going to do the first one today. Tell us about what's in my paper. What is in my paper? Well, this is uh, just a concept I had because we've had over the weeks a variety of really really fantastic editors from all over 
primarily all over the continent. Uh, and earlier in the week, we were talking to the editor of, of uh, Weekend of Eason, um, one of Europe's oldest newspapers, and uh, and he was fantastic talking about the moves to, of course, uh, you know, well, on one side talking about the great performance of the Danish government. The second, the second side was also about just the the move to to easing. Um, but that was a bit of a preview um, because today it's the real deal, um, and we're we're going to head up to Berlin right now. We're going to be talking to Christoph Ament, and he is the editor of one of my favorite magazines in the world, um, not just a newspaper supplement magazine, great magazine all around, uh, Zeit Magazine, which of course is the supplement which comes with the German weekly newspaper, uh, Die Zeit. And um, I believe Christoph is on the line now. Guten Morgen. Guten Morgen, Georgina. Guten Morgen, Tyler. Hello. Georgina, are you liking Georgina, this? It's like, like it's like a continental sandwich right now. It's, like a, German, <laughs> it's a German breakfast sandwich. <laughs> I don't like to think what that makes me. But uh, <laughs> Christoph, good morning to you. It's, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Tyler's just been telling us a little bit about, about your publication. How would you describe it? Well, Die Zeit is a, the, sort of the big quality weekly paper in Germany, and the magazine sort of plays the role of, sort of the emotional side to it. So um, all the stories that we run, all the magazines that we, the issues that we put out, always have a focus on sort of trying to find out how we feel about what's happening in the world. And um, yeah, so so it's been in quite a, quite a few weeks in the past. I mean, we're, we're, we're editing, producing the magazine um, in home office for, I think, four weeks now. And uh, and it and it really and it works. That's one of the amazing things. I mean, who would have thought that we could have uh, do it like that? Uh, Christo, I just wanted to, to ask you uh, for for those who haven't uh, picked up uh, this week's um, edition, uh, and and again, I think just giving our listeners a little bit more color, those who aren't familiar with it. And of course, uh, we've had you in the magazine many times, and and of course, we've talked about it many times, but. Zeit Magazine, uh, it's it's this wonderful contrast because you can take a, a real high ground and you can be sort of, you know, the intellectual Germans at their best, uh, but you can be witty and you can be a little bit rude and you can have great fashion and you, of course, do wonderful supplements uh, as well that, that, go, that go with it. But I'm just curious, editor to editor, uh, as you said, it's amazing that you can get magazines out and we've, we found the, the same thing um, and it's incredible... Yeah, I'm now running a 24-hour radio station these times, and we're, my goodness, are we glad that we that we have it. Uh, but I'm just wondering, did you sort of feel this coming? I mean, and of course, we all knew it was coming, but I'm term, aside from sort of, let's say, the, the, the channel shift that you had to make in terms of your working practices, just your editorial tone, I'm wondering how many stories have ended up in the bin, or maybe not in the bin, have just been there on holiday for a while, uh, and will come back versus a complete recommissioning of the magazine. Yeah, we changed everything upside down. I mean, four weeks ago... Uh, when the lockdown was about to happen in in Germany, um, we sat down and like basically um, did everything from scratch. Like we changed columns, weekly columns. Uh, we we invented new formats. We introduced a new daily newsletter. You know, I write a daily newsletter every day that we sent out in the early um, uh, evening. It's called What a Day, and I kind of wrap up uh, what's happening, what's been happening in that day, and give some inspirations, you know, what kind of new TV shows are on or what you know, kind of books or music you can listen to. Um, and so uh, four weeks ago, we started a new daily newsletter in the morning to give artists, you know, writers, and, um, 
musicians, um, designers, a new stage in a time where all the stages are closed. So we doubled our newsletter, our daily newsletter uh, program. And I'm very happy about that because we can really react quickly. And same with you with the radio. Um, and then, you know, I was, you know, we closed down the magazine um, on Friday and then it goes to the printer. And um, uh, five weeks ago, I think it's five or four weeks ago, I mean, it's before Corona time and after <laughs> Corona time, I guess, these days, uh, I, I was running in the morning and I thought, you know, like I do every morning. And then I, I thought about the fact that now it's time to be together alone for the sake of all of us. And I tweeted this sentence in German uh, that, that morning, Friday morning. And I got so many reactions that I decided uh, to run this as a double cover, just the, you know, just the two sentences, uh, you know, no, no other design, no photography, no other illustrations uh, to, to run it as a double cover. Um, and we had four hours before we went to the printer and we managed to do that. So that was the kind of start. And since then, we've been working on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and I have to say, you know, the team is so much uh, involved and everyone is doing, you know, new stories, coming up with new ideas every day. I mean, it's for journalism, of course, it's as sad as it is for all of us as human beings, for journalism, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a time where you have to you know you can be so innovative you can come up with new ideas and new stories all the time. Mm. Uh, Christoph, what's actually in your issue, your very latest issue? Well, you know what we're trying to do at the moment is to find the right balance of stories that really sort of cover Corona or sort of the way we live with Corona, um, and but also to have stories that have nothing to do with Corona because I think. You know, you you can't read and listen to Corona stories 24 hours a day. You get crazy. I mean, so so we have to find. A, I think we're trying to find the balance. So the cover story this week, as we have, as we're you know, as it is Easter this weekend, um, we asked two hosts of a very um, witty podcast that Tide has been doing for a couple of months. Um, two sisters who grew up in a pastor's uh, a family. Uh, one of the sister is. Uh, Zeit's deputy editor, Sabine Rückert, uh, we asked, they, they, they have a podcast talking about stories from the Bible. And it's, it's a really funny podcast. I mean, they, they take the Bible not for granted. So they take it as a book of stories. And they, they're critical, they're funny, they're making fun of it, they're making fun of God, they're criticizing, you know, what's happening there. And so this kind of special tone uh, was, was to the inspiration for our cover story. So we asked them, to write the whole, you know, the, tell all story about Easter. <laughs> hmm. uh, Christoph, what's been your media diet during these times? How are you getting through it? What are you reading? Um, I'm reading everything that I can get a hold of at the moment. I mean, Twitter is a great source of inspiration for links. I'm reading magazines, but I'm also, you know, uh, just to escape from this, uh, you know, news cycle sometimes i i read a lot of books i mean i I've, one of my favorite books at the moment is uh, by the dutch historian rutger breckman uh, who um, writes about basically that he believes that human beings are better than human beings think themselves mm. uh it's a, it's, a, it's 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 a great book just came out in germany uh and uh yeah so it's, it's a mix of being you know up with the news and but on the, on the other side, trying to escape from the news uh, 
by by reading books and magazines. And Christoph, like every good good magazine as well, because uh, Wurko Bregman, he's he has the the center spread. It's this wonderful, uh, very contemplative uh, black and white portrait that you have of him, and uh, it, it's actually quite amazing. Because Georgina, uh, I'm not sure if you've got the the edition in front of you, but it's 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 it really sits as the centerfold in the magazine. And there's something quite beautiful about he's got this dark uh, shirt on as well, and it's just also where the staples hit in the magazine. It looks like he's he's got these sort of shiny epaulets as well. Mm-hmm. So there's something about the physicality of, of also the way it also works um, with the portrait. But of course, it, he's known for um, his uh, his book, which of course has had a lot of attention everywhere. And it's an interesting media story in itself because um, he's been writing as a, as, a, as you know, a, a really almost an ongoing column or series um, in the the crowdfunded uh, Dutch um, news site, uh, De Correspondent. And uh, and this is about his his utopia for, for realist stories. But I, w- I was thinking about, you know, one thing he does talk about is he, he advocates a 15-hour work week. And as you were saying, I don't think, I don't know any journalist right now, Christoph, who's enjoying a 15-hour work week. 15-hour days, maybe. But as you said, it's just an incredible time for what we do. You know, on the other, you know, absolutely. But it's, you know, I keep thinking about what's actually happening with our lives as journalists. I mean, you know, I mean, we used to travel. I mean, usually I'm traveling at least two, three days a week. Now, what I do, my daily routines, I go running in the morning, and then I walk to the office. I'm one of the three people who's still in the office. Um, then I'm spending my whole day in video conference calls, right, as we all do, on Zoom, Star Leave, and whatever. And then I walk home again. It's, it's like a daily routine. It's like this, going on like this for four weeks. Mm. And so from the outside, you would see me sitting in my office walking as much as I've never done in my whole life uh, through the city of Berlin, you know, the quiet and empty city of Berlin. And everything else is just happening inside uh, my head. So the stress and all these things that have to be changed and and rethought, you know, all the projects that we're working on, it's just basically invisible, just as the virus is invisible. Absolutely. Well, it's wonderful that all of that creativity, though, is being channeled into your publication. Christoph, thank you so much. Thanks, Christoph. Um, so that's Christoph Armand, who's the editor-in-chief of Zeit magazine. I think we're going to take a break now, and then, Tyler, perhaps you could tell us about your media diet. Very good. The Foreign Desk is Monocle 24's weekly global affairs programme. We tackle the world's biggest news stories as well as those left untold. If actually you speak to the ordinary people, their aspirations is for a unified country, whether you talk to business people, to school teachers, to market traders and so on and so forth, across the board, is they want to see their country recreated as it was only this time as a democratic, accountable system. Our expert guests offer in-depth analysis and first-hand experience. In one of the Ebola treatment centres I went to had been burned down by a community that were very resentful and frightened of Ebola, and they still have a bunker in the middle. They've dug a big, deep bunker where they can hide if people come and shoot at them. The Foreign Desk with me, Andrew Muller, is available every Saturday from midday London time, right here on Monocle 24. The Entrepreneurs has undergone a bit of a makeover, and we want you, our listeners, to get involved. It's a strange time to be a small business owner, and so we are giving you the opportunity to ask questions to industry leaders, from retailers to CEOs to creatives. Find out about taking your startup to the next level. 
Maybe you want to know more about how to move a fashion company online. Perhaps you're uncertain about funding. Whatever's playing on your mind, email us at question at monocle.com and we'll get our experts on it. Tune in to The Entrepreneurs every Wednesday at 2000 London time or subscribe at Apple Podcasts. The Entrepreneurs in association with UBS. It's 20 minutes before the top of the hour. You're listening to Monocle on Saturday with me, Georgina Godwin, and also joining me on the line from Zurich is our editor-in-chief, Tyler Brule. Tyler, uh, you've been having a look through the papers. What's uh, grabbed your attention? Well, there's, there's a number of things, and I think we've, you know, as we've gone through it, it was great to talk to to Christoph. I think I need to call him up later today to have a, yeah, an editor sort of counselling session because there's so many things that he was just mentioning, which just you know really I think resonate and um, are so much in line with also the things that we're doing. And I have to say, very modest. I mean, he was very much underselling his uh, his cover because the cover of the the current issue of Zeit Magazine, and I've, I've got it here, Georgina, and it's just this wonderful image of Jesus who's um, sort of rising above a crypt and it just says just says Easter on the cover it's this wonderful uh yeah and, and I, I don't have the credit as to who the uh the painting is by and then it just says and then it's just you as you said they do these great double covers so you flip and then you got the cover again and then it's uh and then it's just the the whole history um and and it goes through it I just it, it was beautiful how he described it isn't it that they have a podcast of where you know two women are dissecting the bible which I think is is just incredible and the, to me couldn't be sort of more German and representative of that newspaper brand either. Yeah, it sounds it sounds extraordinary. Uh, so obviously that's one of the things you've been reading, but what else, what are you picking up on, particularly in the German language press? Yeah, a couple of things today that there's a very interesting story uh, where you have some of the German military think tanks, the German military university are, are talking about on one side the deployment right now that the Bundeswehr, the, 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 the German forces, um, have some over 15,000 troops are in, are in call up at the moment, so supporting various activities um, around around the country. Now, as we know, Germany is not very interventionist uh, when it comes to the global stage. But this, the story goes on, Georgina, to talk about one of the military think tanks talking about just you know, the problems. And I think if we sort of look across the Mediterranean, uh, what could happen? And so it talks really about about conflict and what could arise because of this. And I think we've we've seen a lot of uh, experts and heard from a lot of experts over the last few weeks, you know, pointing an eye at the Middle East, I think, and, and or, or casting eye at the Middle East, I should say, um, and also at Sub-Saharan Africa uh, as well. And so the um, the ARD, the, the German uh, state broadcaster, they have this this very this very good piece, uh, which which really sort of calls into question, you know, how things you know might unravel and and really sort of identified as a flashpoint. Now we know that it's. It, it's of course has long been a flashpoint in many ways, uh, but this could certainly uh, exacerbate the situation. Um, the the other actually, I was going to say though, just while, while I look at one thing, I mean, I'm not sure how much you know you're following um, the press, Georgina, from from your part of the world, your your original homeland, um, in a way, in Zimbabwe uh, and also South Africa as well, and how this story is playing out there. Because as we know, it's sort of it's interesting, of course, how the 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 virus is moving, and and only now we're sort of seeing the story start to emerge properly out of Africa. Mm. I mean, I think it's very worrying because uh, obviously there are very few tests being done there. Also, I mean, I know that once it takes hold in somewhere like Zimbabwe, it it will just go. I mean, people are, are in lockdown, but they're in lockdown in horribly crowded conditions. And it's just 
people can't afford to stock up on food and things like that. There is one really interesting piece, though, that is coming out around the world. It's about a piece of research going on in Australia. Now, children in sub-Saharan Africa, and I believe in some parts of the rest of the world too, are vaccinated at birth with the BCG, which is an anti-tuberculosis vaccination. Mm. Uh, and so that happens at birth. It leaves you with a kind of keloid-like scar on your on your upper arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there is a suggestion now that that does give some measure of protection against the virus. So Australia's doing all these big tests. If that is the case, it may be that sub-Saharan Africa isn't, in fact, lying about the figures or hasn't done the tests. Genuinely, perhaps people aren't being infected. Mm. Yeah, and also whether, you know, the story, as the story goes, that if places which are properly hot uh, and not properly hot, but also air-conditioned, uh, are, are also just a little bit more resistant to, to this um, as, as well. Mm. Um, one, one story this morning, though, which really stands out, Georgina, it's, a, it's just it's a massive piece of journalism. It's a massive piece of research. And it's in um, it's the front page story of the, the NZZ, the Neuzirke Zeitung, um, the newspaper of record here in Switzerland. And it says Corona crisis. This is how Swiss researchers want to free the country from lockdown. And I, I haven't seen anything with this depth of reporting. So they've gone to Aimo Brunetti from the University of Bern, Jean-Pierre Dattin from the uh, APFL in Lausanne. Uh, they speak to the University of Zurich, the University of St. Gallen, uh, the uh, University of Lucerne again, the KOF um, in in, in Zurich, and they've just got some of the leading minds in the country talking about how do we march out of this and what does it look like and what type of economy, what type of society do we want to have? Um, and this morning, in, in just in scanning all of the English language papers, I haven't seen anything like this. So uh, to our listeners, uh, you know, it's uh, this is the one thing about where Google Translate is amazing. Uh, it, it's to, to go and read a story like this. And it's just, it's it's quite uplifting as well. And mm-hmm. I think we, we have to move to this place right now, which is, you know, what does... What does it look like and what type of society do we do we want to go back to? Do we want to be in a place of half measures? I mean, my goodness, I saw something yesterday where the Canadian government said, well, we're probably in this for a year. And now, if, if this is, you know, well, well and truly the case, then I think there has to be some very, very serious debates and discussions around mortality, around the type of economy and the type of society that we want to live in. Because if it is going to be a year of just of masks and and half-filled restaurants and everything is going to be operating at 40%, I think we have to take a sharper look at things because I think the, the mental health toll, the economic toll becomes absolutely enormous. Totally. Uh, Tyler, you're talking about some of the, the, the great minds meeting. And of course, one of the places where they do that is at literary festivals. And you and I have been trying to coordinate our visits to the Welsh countryside for some time now. We've been trying to go to the Hay Festival together and sadly it's of course cancelled this year. But our friend and colleague Nancy Durham lives just outside Hay. She runs her wonderful company Welsh Lavender. Should we pay her a call? I think we should go knock on the door. Hello Nancy, are you there? Hello, welcome to sunny (laughs) Wales. I like that segue. This is the Hay Festival here, all by myself. Exactly, just reading reading to yourself and your husband, Bill. How how nice. How how are you faring uh, down in in your stretch uh, of Wales, Nancy? I would say I'm I'm getting used to this. Uh, It's a state of mind. I was not good at it at all in the beginning. I think I'm not great at it now, but I am in a beautiful place. And it really is just in my head because everything here is going on as normal. It's lambing time. Um, our our farm is a very traditional Welsh farm, which means a little lane run, runs right through the middle of it. So back and forth go Gareth and 
Robert and various people on their quad bikes or their pickup trucks because they're going back and forth checking their lambs. And to, you know, to them, there's no virus. The life goes on. And there's great distance here between people. I mean, our nearest neighbor in, in residence at the moment is half a mile away. So it, it's life is, I can't complain. Uh, Nancy, I heard an extraordinary thing about you, which I did not know, is that you used to live in Wuhan. That is something, isn't it? I was there twice in the mid-80s. Bill and I actually lived for three months um, on the campus of Wuda, which is Wuhan University. He was giving philosophy lectures, and uh, I went along as as the, the partner and got roped into doing journalism lectures, which I think were even more exciting because it was very novel for them to have somebody, anybody from the West, but to have a Western journalist there. And it was, a, a in a way, a beautiful sprawling, sprawling city, beautiful because there were almost no cars. So we spent three months on bicycles and tootling around. It was at an open door moment, so they called it in the 80s for a year or two, when um, to be, there was a great book by Orville Schell, To Get Rich is Glorious. And everyone there was trying to get rich. And the, the um, uh, army bases were open. I accidentally cycled in on one occasion and soldiers came out and just welcomed me and said hello. Well, we kind of act, acted out hellos with ni hao and hello. Um, and it was a, just a, a great, it's a great memory and how shocking now to think back on what has unfolded from there. Absolutely. Now, yeah, now, sorry, oh, sorry, Georgie. Now, just Nancy, when you, when you look back at your time in Wuhan, I'm wondering if there's if there's if there's anything that also stands out. Not that you uh, knew that there was going to be a virus coming down the track, but we've been spending so much time around the mic, speaking to various uh, doctors, speaking to the WHO, various experts, etc., and and really looking back at, of course, the the history of viruses. And and people talk in terms of the Wuhans. The Wuhans you know, are a series of. Uh, there's been many viruses that have come from from Wuhan. I mean, like many places in the world. Um, anything that sort of stood out at, at that time in terms of the makeup of the city, uh, interactions, the wet markets, all of those things that um, that even raised an eyebrow at the time? Um, we were absolutely unaware of any viruses or any reputation like that. But what is unforgettable is the, the cages of animals outside restaurants where you'd be invited to go and point at some cute little furry creature and eat it. Well, we didn't do that. You know, it's another culture, and we don't like eating unknown animals um, and having them sort of prepared for you right in front of them when they're you know awake, alive one moment and dead the next. But we we still talk about that memory. And but that's the only thing. Very they and they eat everything. And mm. Bill Bill is fond of water buffalo, and uh, we repeatedly were given these beautiful rings of things, kind of like onion rings, that he ate throughout the journey, only to find at the end of it that was part of the water buffalo he'd been eating. So he was kind of mortified. Uh, the ring, the ring so. bit, we'll leave it out um, <laughs> yeah. for our, our people over breakfast this, this morning. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> um, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I do just want to ask you about your business there, Nancy um, Welsh Lavender, because uh, it's it's a wonder. You make wonderful, wonderful products, but I understand you've expanded the range uh, to deal with this crisis. You're doing hand sanitizer. We are. I'm very proud of it. I've looked for all my travels as a journalist. I never left home without a hand sanitizer. And to this day, I don't go to London without one. So I thought I've been wanting to make it. And we finally, before the lockdown, we got going, experimenting, put together a beautiful, can I call it a recipe, got all our safety certificates in lightning record time, even managed to find bottles to put it in. That wasn't easy. And yeah, we're making it. And I think in a way it's keeping me sane because 
we're really busy thanks to our little farmer's hand sanitizer. So thank you for asking about that. Wonderful stuff. Nancy, it's interesting when you talk about uh, it, it's lambing season and you're watching all of your your neighbors uh, coming and going, and they're and and they're they're doing their thing. And as you said, it's 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 absolutely as if there, there's not there's no virus around them because they're in a a completely yeah they're in a different orbit almost and 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 they're yes. not they're, and, and of course uh they're not having to go into an office every day all, all of these types of things um as you said it, it took you uh, of course by by surprise like it did all of us and you you had to sort of reset uh but do you find a certain type of peace every day uh when you see this knowing that yeah there are vast swaths of society that life just goes on as normal it's it's in in many ways it's, it's big cities or even village life that's impacted yeah, you know, it's so true. It is reassuring to me. And farmers have said, you know, there's, there's no difference here for us. And they're not flaunting it at all. At all. I mean, the, we'll, we'll, we talk, but everyone is keeping a very big distance here, even though we, we would never stand very close together. But they've, it's been magnified. But it is reassuring because people are behaving normally and just sort of taking it in their stride. So I'm trying to copy them. It's still a challenge. <laughs> Nancy, thank you so much for talking to us. Now, Tyler, you were talking to Nancy about finding peace. I'm going to be a bit bossy now and order you back to bed to go and find some peace on your own <laughs> for a while. <laughs> I think it's more, lo- Georgina, it's more lounger, I think. It's lounger and, and sunshine today. Well, uh, that's the order of the day here. Excellent stuff. Uh, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us and perhaps we'll also speak to you tomorrow. This is Monocle on Saturday. Immerse yourself in the world of Monocle. Visit monocle.com. Listen live to our radio station, Monocle 24, or explore more than 5,000 hours of audio. Every minute of every show we've broadcast since we launched. And don't forget that we have over 400 films to watch and share, while magazine subscribers can log in and browse our complete print archive on screen. Our online shop is here too, which you'll find well-stocked with clothing, books, travel accessories, fragrances, homewares, and more. Check into monocle.com every day for fresh news and opinion from our editors and bureau around the globe. Then plan a trip to one of those spots for business or pleasure with our handy city and resort guides. It's all there for you at monocle.com. What are you waiting for? Monocle on Saturday. I'm Georgina Godwin. Now, our Chiara Romella joins me on the line. Uh, she is, of course, our culture editor, and she's here to share some cultural suggestions for the weekend. Good morning to you, Chiara. Good morning to you. Um, indeed, cultural suggestions. I've got to say, today I have what I would call a Netflix hangover, if there is such a thing. Um, you know, yesterday was a wild night. It's the kind of party that I'm used to having nowadays in my living room. Um, but I ended up watching Netflix until the really, really early hours of the morning. And what were you uh, watching? Well, this is, a, this is it. So this is a series called, in Italian, Il Processo, uh, in English, The Trial. And it's recently been released on Netflix. And it actually originally aired on Italian television on the Canale Cinque. Um, but it wasn't very successful then. Um, so I approached it with some degree of scepticism. But actually, as you know, my watching history will, will document, um, it was... I was hooked. It was really, really compelling. Um, the idea is that this is a courtroom drama um, that's based around a an investigation for a murder. So, you know, you're a standard kind of investigation courtroom drama, but the amount of twists and turns 
just will not stop coming. Sounds extraordinary. <laughs> what, yes, else, it is. what else are you recommending of, of that sort of genre? Because I think we love that kind of... Um, right now, we're all desperate for something that has a, a resolution at the end. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, we're either going for very light-hearted things that are very casual watching and you can just kind of dip in and out of, or you want things that truly grip you, which is why, you know, thrillers and, and true crime and these kind of things are always very popular as escapism as well. So I will say I'm really looking forward to this weekend, television, television speaking, because um, it's a bit of a double Phoebe Waller-Bridge act in that on uh, Sunday, HBO is releasing Run, which is a new series produced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who obviously is the kind of hilarious writers behind Fleabag and, um, and who's also worked on Killing Eve in the past. And the new season of Killing Eve is also being released on Monday. And now Phoebe Waller-Bridge no longer writes that, but she's still executive producing. So fans of her output will be very satisfied this weekend. And both of these things, you know, obviously Killing Eve is a kind of assassin drama, whilst Run is a brand new series written by Vicky Jones, who's her longtime con um, co-kind of collaborator. And, and it's a bit of a kind of comedy rom-com thriller if there is such a thing but um but probably very very kind of well pitched in that kind of mixture of dark humor and a kind of engaging thriller that we know very well from Killing Eve as well. Mm. Now Kiara it's interesting that you talk about it being an exciting weekend for television because we no longer really have appointment to view TV we're not constrained by the schedules at all uh because, of course, everybody's streaming. Uh, now, I know that uh, in the May issue of the magazine, uh, you have a piece about streaming wars. It is, indeed. And uh, it, it was very, very interesting kind of delving into all of these different companies because when we talk about streaming wars, so very often we think about, you know, the likes of, um, obviously, Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple TV+. Plus, But... The, at this time when so many of us are spending so much time at home, many are also uh, getting to know their more local streaming providers as well. And it's interesting how players big and small are playing different strategies, I guess, to maintain this audience, which right now is kind of more captive than ever. Um, Disney Plus, which launched um, in the UK at the end of March, um, has already launched a few months ago in the US and has actually enjoyed a huge success. I guess um, strong of its, you know, obvious kind of back catalogue that gives us a lot of, uh, you know, power to and cut through. Um, but as these massive, massive uh, players with big catalogues arrive into new markets, smaller players can still maintain some degree of relevance by investing in what they can do best, and that's understanding their local context. So, you know, we're seeing Netflix in, in, invest more and more and more into local series and you know the processo, the trial that i was just talking about a mm. few moments ago is one of those um but local streamers will always be have a bit of an edge in terms of knowing what their local audiences want 
Kiara, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks so much to all of our guests this morning. Charles Hecker, James Chambers, Nancy Durham, Tyler Brule, Christian Amen, and of course, our Kiara Ramella. Uh, the programme was produced by Marcus Hippie and our studio engineer in London was Nora Hull. I'm Georgina Godwin. Monocle on Saturday returns next week. Uh, and don't forget that I'm back tomorrow at the same time with Monocle on Sunday. Thank you for listening. Thank you.